Hi, welcome to the Shallow Dive on Derech Eretz Zuta, the Little Book of Etiquette, a collection of wisdom from our sages about how to relate to life. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so we're starting a new parak, parak Shvi'i. Raisa Aleph. Shiva Dvarim Begolam, Veshiva Bechacham. Seven matters that are traits found in a golem. It's not the golem of Prague, but uh, doesn't exist. But uh, golem, in a generic sense, means an unformed vessel. So, a boor is, is a common translation, a golem. So there are seven traits that are found among the wise. Right, one who is wise does not speak before one who is greater in wisdom or life's experience of age you know, the uh, the value of life experience when when that is what is being called upon so the the trait of the wise to seek wisdom is to be silent so that they can glean more wisdom so if somebody is greater with chachma so that they should uh, close their mouth, open their ears, that they will be able to appreciate more chachma, gain more chachma. And minion, if the person that they're with is going to be able to offer them experience that they don't have, so that would be a time to be silent and listen to the, the, the teachings derived of the school of hard knocks. Right? There's, there's life experience as a great teacher, and if somebody's been around the block, so that, that can be something that a Chacham will learn from vicariously by being silent to observe and listen from somebody who has experienced life. A Chacham does not interrupt his friend. Right? The, the, there, there are multiple angles on this. Interrupting a person is not exactly Derech Eretz, right? That's where we are. Hilchus Derech Eretz. It's it's a certain uh, lack of respect towards the person. But specifically in the realm of Chachmah, the the Chachmah would be to to not interrupt. It's it's a... uh, a lack of appropriate relationship to the words that are, are being spoken, shared by another person. And a golem doesn't have that, right? A golem is the opposite of all these. The golem has no sense of the value of chachma, is not working towards acquisition of chachma, of wisdom. So he'll speak before those that are greater than him. And he will interrupt as well. It's it's not uh, not something that he would 
be particular about. This is to an even further degree, not just not to interrupt, but not to be bursting to respond. Is, is to, to feel a certain sense of, uh, of pressure almost to respond. If somebody is having a hard time holding themselves back from responding while the other person is still speaking, so that means they're not really listening. They're, they're just looking to have the, the opening to, to say what they want to say, but at that point, they're not listening anymore. So the Chacham, the Chacham may have what to say, but the Bikush HaChachma, the desire for more wisdom in a person who has acquired wisdom and values wisdom, will overrule that and override that. They'll set that aside. They'll, they'll get to it when it's time to respond, but they're still more focused on the Chachma. So they will not be pushing to respond. He asks according to the matter and responds uh, in, in an appropriate manner. So the questions are targeted to the subject matter, not, not a, uh, a free-floating question that's vague or irrelevant. And the way the Chacham responds is in, in, in a... Uh, Practical response, of course, the subject matter may not be practical, but practical as possible. Kehalacha. So, in, in terms of the, the most, con not just concise, but I'd say that the, the most clear cut, unambiguous answer that they can give is what they should give. That, that's the hallmark of Chachma, to convey Chachma in the response. The Omer al Rishon Rishon, the Akron Akron. And a chacham, one who is wise, has an order of things. He speaks about the first things first, and the last things last, or second, third, fourth. There is an, an order of, of priority. So it's, it's not just um, in a random order. Chachma is having a, uh, an ordering of the ideas that, that they understand, and there's a hierarchy within those ideas, so they're presented in an ordered fashion. That is chachma, and in a, in a conversational sense, it, it doesn't necessarily mean conceptually, but responding to somebody um, would also, uh, would, through derecheretz, would require that, that the response be in accordance with what has been asked. So somebody... Somebody says a few things, and, and uh, you're going to respond to that. The way to do so in Chachma is to address what they said, whatever the thoughts of wisdom are on that, in the order that, was, that, was, uh, that it was said. So if they're laying something out, it should be done conceptually, rishon, rishon, achron, achron, first things first, second things second. And if they're responding, so they, they should respond in the order that the, the person who was speaking prior, prior, prior to them, whether it's a question or not, if they're coming with a response, they should be trying to incorporate that person's perspective in the response. So the way to do that is to respond cohesively in that, in that order. 
And concerning that which the Chacham has not heard, he's wise and he hasn't heard about it, he should freely say, I have not heard. And the, the one who acquires wisdom is most particularly aware of the limits of his wisdom. And that the, I, I would say, similar to what we saw in the Medrash and Kohelis, that the, the na native drive is if somebody has 100, they want 200. They have 200, they want 400. So for the one who pers pursues wisdom, if they have 100, they want 200. If they have 200, they want 400. The sense of acquisition always becomes further and further away that the recognition of what they have yet to actually understand grows in magnitude as they grow in Chachmah. As they become more wise, there is more to understand. They become cognizant of that, the, the magnitude increasing, so they would be comfortable as a Chacham with saying, Lo shamati, this is something I haven't heard. Or the, the, the Chacham, in order to be a Chacham, is, is certainly going to be uh, always seeking the validation of the perspectives that they are developing. So in doing so, Lo shamati, is, is a necessary default of, of uh, truthfulness and recognition of, of emptiness, as it were, lack of knowledge where that's the case. That, that's, that is the predicate to true future acquisition. Right? So if somebody's building a house on quicksand, so then it's not going to be worth very much. So the, the lo shamati is is a, um, if I haven't heard, I haven't heard, and, and we, we'll leave that empty, not, not, uh, not fill in the blank with something that's not stable. Uh, or we can make a presumption with the caveat that I didn't hear. This is a working theory and, and not more. We, we have to know what we know and the degree to which we know it. So lo shamati is, is an important uh, sense of identification where that's the case. Moda al ha'emes, umoda al this is so critical. A chacham needs to admit to the truth. So the, the truth is the, tr the absolute foundation of chachma. There's, there's no chachma in sheker, a falsehood, it's falsehood. The Chachma needs to have the, uh, the, the overriding drive to correct error. People do make mistakes. Chachamim also make mistakes. So the Moda al Ha'emes, the admitting the truth, is, is a critical feature of, of repair of finding the right, the right um, or more correct understanding of things because by definition, as we learn more, we realize the subtleties that we may have overlooked before are right there. Part of that is moda ala emis, recognizing the truth. 
recognizing that truth is is uh, abandoning false premise and uh, not being tied to it. So so embracing that truth. All of these traits are only by the Chacham, whereas the Golam has all the opposite traits. The Golam, the one who is unformed, who is lacking the, the traits of wisdom, so all of these things are, are not the way they interact. Right? A Golam who is unformed doesn't have wisdom, doesn't value wisdom, so on something that he hasn't heard, what, what, why should he say he hasn't heard? Why is that relevant? Why should he concede to the truth if it's not something he values? He's just a blob. He's a golem. So uh, clearly the, the Mishnah, is, uh, the Brysa rather, it's also a Mishnah, is, is showing us the, the traits we need to cultivate to become Chachamim, the traits we need to have as Chachamim, and everybody starts off as a golem. It's an important point. Nobody starts off being born as a chacham. There's no such thing. So, to the degree that we have not yet achieved chachma, we're all a work in progress, we, we need to realize that all these traits need to be worked on. So even if yes, say, yeah, I'll, I'll admit to the truth. But to the degree that I was a golem, at some point I was a golem, my native tendency was not to admit to the truth. Right? At one point, I was a golem. Everybody, to the degree that they've progressed and improved upon themselves towards Chachma, that's great. That needs to come together with Moda al Ha'emes, conceding to the truth. But that value and, and validation is, is not native. It's not that some people are born this way, some people are born that way. Everybody is born as a golem. And, and we need to strive towards being proactive on cultivating these traits that will facilitate more chachma and the elevation of the person as a wise person. So let's take a look at the commentaries here. Shalkinin Umeisha Kalacha Naklas Yaakov says, Chado Choshevluo. The Bryce says seven things. So if you count it out, we need to know how to get to seven. He says, Shalkinin Umeisha Kalacha are actually two parts of one aspect, one trait that the wise possess or cultivate. Asking on target and responding in the, in the most concrete, actionable manner, that is uh, basically one trait. It's not, although it's two things in, in terms of how it's being presented, they're two sides of one coin. It, it's a matter of response. Uh, so, so the the responding to what you are hearing should be in a manner that values chachma. So asking on target, asking a, a precise question that, uh, as the Migdal Oz says, famous Bitui, or close to this, he says, Shailos chacham chatzichuva. The question of the wise is halfway to the answer. The, the, the wise question is already formulated in a manner that is presented almost on a silver platter. You, you can see it's not just a, a blob of a question. So, so th that is a chokhmah. It's, it's, a, 
It's a valuation of the wisdom to present a question that is answerable, that is targeted. And on the flip side, it's really one trait. When one is responding, so the valuation of the Chachma to another person's question is to answer in a manner that will most concretely and actionably enhance their wisdom. So it's, it's, it's two ways of relating to another person towards promoting Chachma. So that's one of the seven, both traits. Binin Yoshua, he says that this mish, this teaching is also found similarly in Pirkei Avos and in Avos Rabinasim. So we have both of these sources we can take a look at to see some more information, to learn some more. Chachma. In Pirkei Avos, it's Perk Hamishi, the fifth chapter, Mishnah Zayim, the seventh Mishnah. Shiva Dvarim Begolam, Shiva B'chacham. So we have a nice introduction by the Rambam. He says, He says, I want to give you an introduction. There are different characters that are portrayed by our sages. So you have a, a boor, a uh, simple person, if you will, an unlearned person. Golem is, is unformed, just uh, basically as he is, as he is born. Vichacham is the wise one. Vichasid is the pious one. So he's, he is uh, taking this opportunity where the Mishnah contrasts Chacham and Bur, and Golem rather, to, to flesh out these characters that are described frequently by our sages. Bur is the, like in the English translation, Bur is a person that is lacking qualities of the intellect. He has not cultivated his intellect. And he has not cultivated good character. He's just as he is. He's a blob without cultivating himself. He is not acquiring wisdom and he is not improving his character. He also doesn't, doesn't have any opinions. He has not cultivated any perspectives. It's as though he is naked from good and evil. Like a, a barren land. That's called a, a fallow field. Just nothing, nothing going on there. So that's the, the boor. Ama aretz. Hu ish sheyesh lo mailos hamidos. Who is Ama aretz? He's a, a simple person, a working person, and he has developed good character. However, ein lo mailos sichlios. He doesn't have uh, an, any type of uh, intellectual gains or, or knowledge per se, but he has cultivated good character. 
He does have derech He knows how to get on with people in the world that relate to life. But in he doesn't have the wisdom, the divine wisdom. He's lacking in Torah. That's called Ama Aretz. That's Tov Lehish of Aretz. He is doing good in the world. Ama Aretz, although it's often used in a pejorative sense, and it can be a negative, but he does have something going for him. He is promoting Yishuv HaOlam to the degree that he is at least cultivating good midos. Ulekibutse Hamadinus, he is the bulwark of the of, of what constitutes a country. That the Amaretz is is the the basic uh, simple person that is working towards Yeshua Olam. And and this is good. This this is somebody that, that is promoting what God wants through his life, even if he lacks the wisdom of the Torah. Vigolam hu ish sheeshlo milos sichlius umilos hamidos. And the Ramam says our Mishnah says a golem. Now he's going to get to who's a golem. He says it's somebody that does have raw power, the intellect, and he's also uh, developed his his understanding of things. He does also have uh, development of character. He, is, he has worked to, to develop his character positively, to refine his character. Amnam, enam shlemos. But it's not shalem. So he is the work in progress. So he has uh, errors and kinks mixed in that that are lacking in his completion. That's why he's called a golem. Like an unfinished vessel. It's a, a kli golem is, is not just a, a raw piece of wood from a tree. It is the, the prototype towards the finished product. You can make out that this will be a chair. It's not a chair yet, but you see it's starting to come together, something like that. That's a golem. That's what the Ramam says. It's not nothing. Right? He's actually identifying the boor as somebody who's just the blank slate, as it were. Golem, he says, is working towards, but is, is with error and lacking. It's, it's not the finished product by any means. So, in the, in the matter of the work in progress, it will eventually become completed. You have metal implementations, uh, implements that are, are, are not yet completed, not yet fully usable. As you see in Kalim, it is, he says, a Hebrew word. It says in Tehillim, 
before it has come to Tsuras Ha'adam. It's not fulfilling the form of a, of a human being in its full sense. That's a golem. Now that's uh, like the, the mythological golem is the form of a human being, but lacking the full traits, does not have the spirit of a human being. So that's, that is uh, the, the form, but lacking the fullness of that, uh, of the being. Like matter that is receptive to form, which will in, 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 enhance its completion. That's how he translates golem. The Chacham is the one who has also achieved a refinement of character as well as uh, of Chachma, of wisdom, as is appropriate. He's not a work in progress, he is a refined human being. Who is the pious one? He is already a Chacham. He's already wise and in his uh, character refinement as well as acquisition of wisdom. But what makes him pious, he has an additional uh, goodness that he has. He's He's not just doing the din of tzedek, but He's doing a chasidus. He's going beyond the letter of the law, as it were, both in a legal sense and also in his interactions. So he's extra kind, extra forgiving, extra tolerant, uh, beyond the, the strict requirements of what is considered even ideal. So that's, that is the uh, chasid. Okay, so according to the Rambam's definition of these characters, going back to the Mishnah, and our Brahza is essentially the same, so he's, tr- he's describing what really separates the, uh, the Chacham from the Golam. He's learning that Golam is somebody that has made strides. He is moderately successful. He's, he's better than an Amaaretz to a certain degree. And that he doesn't only have good midos, good character traits, but he also is pursuing wisdom and has made uh, improvement in, in that regard for himself. But he is not shalim, he's not, he's not complete. And these characteristics are really what separates the golem from the chacham. Where, where is he uh, able to, to upgrade himself to become a chacham is in these finer points of, of uh, I guess, the, 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 the finishing touches of the, of the completion, like in Shabbos, Makkah This is what takes it from, from being a, a, a vessel that's in the works to being completed. It's the final finishing touches. So what I'm saying, this mission is discussing finishing touches of what separates the, the fulfillment of refinement from somebody who's still 
uh, more broadly, a work in progress. That's how the Ramam is learning all of these things. So, so this golem here also has plenty of chachma. That's, that's the way the Ramam is learning this Mishnah. What does Rashi say? Big golem quotes the Pasuk, the same Pasuk in Tehillim. He says, Kli eitz shilo nigma malachto. It's a, like a wooden vessel that is not complete. This is the way I originally interpreted it, is in accordance with Rashi, and we, we learned it in Derech Eretz. It's somebody that's like a blank slate. He does not have a completion of form. Like this, um, just basically the, the raw material for a vessel. Bichachma, continues Rashi, Shahar betera yoser mimeno. He has more Torah than him. Beminion, he has more, interesting, he says, Bishanim, either more years, that's what we said when we interpreted it first. And he has another idea here also. Vigodol betalmidim. Wow. So Rashi says another thing. You have two Rosh Yeshiva speaking. Two Rosh Yeshiva. One has a yeshiva with 100 Talmidim, and one has a yeshiva with 50 Talmidim. So who should be talking, who should be listening? Rashi says, the one who has 50 Talmidim should be listening to the one with 100 Talmidim. He is Godel, the minion of Talmidim. So why should that make a difference? We explained the first idea that the Chacham, in his valuation of Chachma, will, will have this refinement to value the life experience of the other person, to hear what he has to say where that's relevant, be, be silent to, to glean that. But if the other has more Talmidim, how is that valuing Chachma? So we have another Mishnah that says that a person learns the most from their students. So to the extent that he's in company with somebody that has more students, so he is a greater acquisition of Chachma in that regard. He's, he has more of what to offer in this arena uh, from what he's gained from his Talmidim, how he's learned the Chachma of conveying Chachma itself. He has more Talmidim. He's dealt with more Talmidim. That, that premium, as it were, on his Chachma, uh, even if the, the other one maybe is uh, to some degree learned more, but this, this Maila, when, when that's what's called for, should be valued uh, distinctly. And, and the person who has fewer students should listen and be silent before the one who can offer more through the experience of teaching more students. That's what Rashi says. Shoel, he asks, Shoelke Inyan, Kefi Inyan Hadavar Shivne Adam Oskim Asukibo. So he, he says the question should be in accordance with where people are holding. He shouldn't switch topics to something that is remote from a person's mind. He should try and discuss something with people, or if he's asking a question, in the area that is uh, where their mind already is. Umeshiv, how does he respond? Lefisha shol also kedas ad 
Shemadimo Ala Eker. I'm sorry, Shemamido Ala Eker. He's he is uh, setting things up in in the appropriate manner in his response. Vim Sholu Al Shnedvarim Ogimo. If he's responding to two or three questions, Meshiv Kalacha. He should be respond in accordance with the the way the questions were laid out, not say first the answer to the last question. That is immaturity. The immaturity to respond to the last thing said and then work back. If a person is is following the train of thought of the person that asked them a question or a series of questions. So responding to that shows a, a greater shlemus of knowing where the person is coming from. This is the, the, the series, the train of thought that they said. It's a yaldus to, to just go, go on the, like a, a backward sense, go to the last thing first. That, that's um, showing a lack of, of perspective where they're, how they're putting it together. Omer lo shamati, she'eno rotze lomar b'shem she'eno she'eno omro kidaminam omer davar she'lo shama mirabo gorem eshchino shnistalik misro. So a person should always try and quote where they're coming from. If they have a source, bring your source. Somebody who says a, does not say a source causes the divine presence to depart from Israel. So that, that's, uh, that's not a good idea. I mean, to the degree that the Torah is a revelation of the divine will, so if we have a source of understanding that revelation, we should specifically link to that source, not, not just say something that's um, unfounded necessarily, even if it is true, but we should try and, and deliberately link it to the source in the tradition if it's something that we have heard. And if it's something that we haven't heard, so to say I have not heard is, is valuable in that it, it helps people understand the, the relative value of this claim. Like the Rambam, many times the Rambam says, it appears to me, or, or something like that. He, he tells you when it's him talking, when it's his idea. When he doesn't, so he's coming from sources in the Talmud, um, predominantly, almost exclusively, but other classic Jewish sources. And when it's lo shamati, and he's telling you his own perspective, that that itself helps a person realize the the area of what's clear and and where you could possibly say not that way. Right, that, that it's it's uh, creating a greater connection, a, a more f solid connection to the degree of truth of something that is being conveyed. Not everything has the same equal footing. Umoda alemis, and he can he concedes to the truth. Ve'eno bosh bekach. And actually, says in another very important aspect of admitting to the truth, he's not embarrassed to admit the truth. Im chazer omer. Tos. He says, I made a mistake before. He's not embarrassed to do that. And all these traits, the opposite, are what are found by a golem. 
right? That, that's uh, a golem is, yes, embarrassed to say he was wrong before. He's not in the business of improving himself. So he is the blob that he is. So he's not looking to change or admit the truth or anything. That's, that's the way Rashi is learning. So he, he would certainly feel that it's uh, an affront to, to him to, to have to change his mind. Where's Rashi coming from this last point? That's from Abbas Rabinosan. Abbas Rabinosan says it explicitly in Perik Lamazine 37, uh, the 11th Brisa here. Shiva Dvar Begolam, Shiva Bechacham, Vichulu. Seven things by the unformed and seven by the wise, etc. Amashaloshama Amaloshamati. Concerning that which he hasn't heard, he will declare, I have not heard. The enemies bayish umodal emeth, and he is not embarrassed, and he concedes to the truth. He admits what is true. So the the Bryce itself says this: that the the trait of chachma is valuing the wisdom, not as a, as a, uh, in an egotistical sense. He doesn't. He he recognizes that the wisdom is the wisdom that he's trying to pursue, so he will not be embarrassed to uh, reject a previous opinion that he held. He's not going to be anchored to that because of his true value of the wisdom. I, I remember I was in a spell. I saw this once myself. I, was, uh, I heard a shir from Big Tamil Chacham. And after the shir, I asked him a question. I thought that the Ramam said not like him. And he immediately agreed. He said... That's correct. It's not, not like I said this year. And uh, it just it was, it was so seamless. He didn't think, hem, ha. He recognized that, that what he had said was not what the Ramam is saying. And immediately embraced what the Ramam was saying as the interpretation that he was seeing as true now. And somebody else was listening to the conversations. You know, we were speaking after his shear. The other guy was still stuck on what he said during his shear. Here he actually interrupted him. He says, no, no, that's not, that's not the pshat. <laughs> he, he said, the, the, what the Raman is saying is as follows. Right? He, he was totally un, unembarrassed. It was, it was an immediate embrace of the emes, of the, the, the truth. So that, that's, um, that is a trait of a true chacham. To, to not only to be willing to do so, but to not be embarrassed by that, in order to not be embarrassed by that, so he has to have the, the overwhelming uh, value as the emes. So there's, there's not going to be any, um, any personal in, uh, sense of loss um, by rejecting what was previously perceived as true, even though now he recognizes it's false. He's not going to be... Uh, embarrassed by that. He, he will immediately embrace the truth because that's what he's valuing. I, re I remember Shirkin said, he said uh, some, something similar. He, he said one time by, by Rashi. He said, there's a certain Rashi. He said, can you imagine if I would have died yesterday, <laughs> gone up to Shemaim, and I would not have had this Rashi? <laughs> he said, can you imagine been terrible. Right? He, wasn't, he wasn't embarrassed. He, he felt so relieved 
that he was able to to apprehend the truth, not the the false understanding that he had before, and he was uh, he was celebrating that. He wasn't busy uh, bemoaning. Oh, I, I had it wrong yesterday. So he, he was not embarrassed, but he he was really uh, celebratory over finding finding the truth, uncovering a new, more correct uh, understanding that was that was better. That's Rashi. Uh, he's, he's he's basically building on this Avast Rabinasan. The Rabbeinu Yona on the Mishnah on Avos, he says, Everything that's form is not completed is called a golem. Right, we saw that idea in the Rambam and to a certain degree in Rashi as well. He says, If a person is not able to formulate a cohesive thought, they are called a golem. That's because their wisdom is not detectable. A person should be able to form a cohesive uh, exposition of something. If not, then they might have some latent perception, but if it can't be formulated, so they're unformed. That the chachma that is within them is, is not detectable. It's not, not reflected in the interaction with them. Aspects of wisdom, and some of them are good characters, good, good character traits. Meaning, we talk about these seven things, he's saying in a broad sense, some of them are aspects of wisdom itself, and some of them are, are just good characters. Some of them are, are derech eretz as opposed to Chachma, right? We, and and Amaris also has Derech Eretz, hopefully, right? As, as opposed to some of them being specifically focused on Chachma. He doesn't uh, say here which are which, but he says that, that the breakdown of the seven uh, is not, it's not all in one way. Some are wisdom and some are good character. What does he describe as Chacham? Hayodea la'asos svara. The opposite of Gola. According to Rabbi Yonah, the, a person who can formulate and, and express a svara, a, a, a complete thought that is um, cohesive, that is logical, that, that is an, an, a, a person who is a chacham. He's capable of doing such a thing. That is a chacham, the opposite of the golem. Chacham ina medaber, Oh, welcome. Um, he hears and is silent. The wise person listens to what is being said, and he learns. And he is making wisdom by doing so. He is, he is actually uh, increasing his perspective. He's, he's learning from what they're saying how to differentiate. Is this cohesive? Is it not cohesive? Is this a svara nechona? It's a correct thought process. Is there an error here? By listening to what is being conveyed, 
he's actually making Chochmah, the, the listening and absorbing, not looking to respond, but, but just following through, is giving himself the ability to digest it. So that's, that is making more Chochmah. A golem does not do that. He doesn't seek to understand. The golem is, is not looking to do more than whatever is native. So if he thinks about something, and that's the way it struck him, he doesn't necessarily evaluate the correctness of it, he'll just work with that and be unresponsive to another idea. That, that's, that's, that's being golem. Right? That's, that's not um, being on a, on a process of refinement because they're not receptive to that. They're not going to be making chokhmah, they're not increasing their wisdom by listening. The Eino Nechnas Tokhti he doesn't enter and interrupt into the words of his friend. He lets him speak until he has completed all of his words. And only afterwards will he give a response. And that is a good, good characteristic. That's, that's just derech he's saying. Meaning, it's not, he's saying it's not an aspect of wisdom. In theory, once a person has already heard enough of the other person's statement to have digested the idea, they could really interrupt in terms of chachma. But Derech Herod says they should not. There's, there's a human being there. Besides the idea that's being espoused, and you understand the idea, the, not interrupting them is validating them as a human being, that they, they're in the middle of talking. So that, that's what he's saying. It's, even though the chacham may have already been able to piece together the train of thought, and, and many chachamim can do that very quickly. But still, not to interrupt is midatov. It's, it's a good character. That's not what a golem does. A golem is somebody who's not receptive to hearing a svara, and he'll just interrupt. Doesn't have good midos either. He's just, without hearing, looking to... to Proceed with whatever, whatever uh, default he's he he's at. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it's um, it's become quite popular on many many campuses in the United States that uh, people are not given a platform to speak at. So you have on campuses people are invited to speak, and then they're actually not given that platform to speak. So the, that is an act of, of a golem. The, these people are not receptive to hearing the svara that may be different from their, from their own svara, their own thought process, and it might be better. It might be that they can incorporate something into, from that other idea to refine their own perspective. That's, that's chokhmah. But the idea of, of, uh, of what's common, unfortunately, today, is a shift towards to a certain degree, fascism, is, is uncritical of whatever the current thought is. So that that's, that's leads to uh, tremendous error and, and stifling. There, there won't be a progression 
if they're not going to be receptive to refinement, even if it's an opinion that is being espoused by somebody they disagree with. Hearing it out will refine their Chochmah. Person's responding, but doesn't do so uh, in a brash fashion. In order to respond thoroughly to whatever is being asked, the person needs to, to give it thought. So doing so requires a certain pause, a certain evaluation, and if they're being too quick to respond, so it's, it's lacking in, in the evaluation on the part of the answerer. Not only should his, his mouth not be too quick to jump in to respond, but his heart also should not be bursting to respond. That's, gonna, that's going to interfere with his ability to evaluate properly if he's already come to a uh, you know, shooting from the hip type conclusion. He needs to, to, to digest what the questions are properly and evaluate. Till the matter has become clarified to him, like the sun. That is the path of wisdom. In that manner, his response will be actually correct. He asks appropriately to the, the manner and responds in the, in the way that is actionable, practical. If somebody asks for a reasoning for something, a person shouldn't ask in, in too broad of a sense. It needs to be asked in a targeted manner to that specific thing. A person needs to ask a question that, that can be grappled with in the context. If a person just asks too broad of a question, it's not chachma. So, uh, you look, let's say, for example, and as a prototype of this idea, the four sons that are being addressed in the, in the Seder night. So the Tam is a simple son. He doesn't have much chacham. He's in contrast with the chacham. He's not so wise. So he just says, what is this for you? What is this? He's, he's, he's not able to formulate a question that you can give a complete response to, it's just an, an open-ended question. So that's, that's not uh, a question that's chachma, it's true, he's, he's bewildered by what he sees, and he doesn't know how to formulate that, but that's not the, the chachma, that's, that's simple. The chacham should ask in a manner that's more targeted, that can be answered in, in, a, in the context, not, not not something that's open-ended. And, and the, uh, the response that he gives also should be to the extent possible, even if the question is not a question of Chachmah, but the, the answer also should be to the degree that can be comprehended by the questioner. So the, the Chacham, even if he's asked a question not of Chachmah, should respond kehalacha. So, it, it, you know, you have to know who's asking you. When you, when you give an answer, it's... It's not just a true answer that you want to give. You want to give an answer that's true for the ones who, one who's asking you. Meaning, you could give 
to the same question a different answer to two people that are both correct in the sense of being kehalacha. The, the, the appropriateness, the actionableness of your answer can differ if the one who's asking is a different person and they're coming from a different place. So you, you need to tailor your answer to the person who's asking. If, if the answer is not actionable, it's not a successful answer. And in order for it to be actionable, you have to know who's asking. So that's, that is uh, important. Mishiv Ka'alokha. And the response of the Chacham is in order. First things first, second, or last, last. This is a rule by Rishonim. When a Rishon says, don't say something, you have a hundred other Rishonim that say exactly that. That's the rule. So when he says, don't think the, the, the explanation of this Mishnah is that in this series of questions to go on the first one first, second one second, third one third, don't say that. Others do say like that, right? He says, don't say that. He's saying it means conceptually. In theory, if a person asks questions, and this maybe others would agree to, in theory, if a person asks questions and the exposition of one of the questions will shed light on the understanding of a subsequent question, that question should be dealt with first because conceptually it's a, it's a broader problem. It's a broader question that will elucidate a subsequent question, so that should come first. So that's uh, this. This is all geared towards helping the person understand better. So part of the answer is to organize the question for them. Those or questions, though, a series of questions. So this is a great wisdom. Understand that it's not just sequential. Sequential is perhaps an aspect of Chacham is saying fundamentally knowing how to organize things in a manner that, that flows logically uh, that will be cohesive, that's the, a, a tremendous chachmah. But a person who's a golem is totally unfamiliar with, these, uh, with, with what would be a, an appropriate ordering. He doesn't, he doesn't even think about it in that way. What he has not heard, he concedes and admits he has not heard it. What he has not heard from his teacher, from his master, say, I don't have a received tradition about this man. He should say a svara. He'd say, in my opinion, this is what I think is correct. He shouldn't hold back and say, oh, I didn't hear. If he has what to say, he should say, but he needs to give it the right framework. This is not a received tradition. This is my opinion. This, he says, is Midas Tovos. Interesting. You could consider it Chachma. He calls it Midas Tovos. It's good character. It's good character that a golem is, is totally foreign to valuing the differentiation 
of what he said versus what he has received. He just puts it all together as one mishmash, doesn't recognize that the received tradition has a certain value and that that reflects the tradition from Sinai, a, a, a stronger connection to the exposition of the divine will than a svara, although a svara is valuable too. Umoda alamis, and he concedes to the truth. Gam im yichachim leda lahashiv merov tanosar v'seichel dvaro. Says a person who is a chachma, a chacham, he's wise, so he may have the sophistry to engage in an answer that's disingenuous, and he might even win the argument. That is not chachma. He says a chacham would never do that. V'yochol listo tanos chaveru. He could technically knock off the objections that his friend is presenting, but if he knows that at the, at the end of the day that's not the truth, he needs to be moda alemis, concede to the truth, not uh, play devil's advocate, as it were, to present to defend something not true uh, with with a good defense that might even win the argument, win the debate. Concede, even even the, even if the other person is saying something that you you could con, uh, contest, don't do that if you actually believe that what he's saying is correct. Don't be concerned with victory. Don't try to just win the debate or with glory. This is actually even more glorious. For a person to abandon falsehood will give him more glory than uh, just winning the argument even if he knows that it's false. The golem lo but a golem will not consider this. The golem doesn't care about wisdom. He cares about winning. So if he loses, he's going to be feel vanquished and, and that he wants to avoid that at all costs, he, he won't realize the, the value of the truth. All these traits, says the Rabbeinu Yonah, He's saying that all of these negative seven traits, as it were, all of them are an aspect of negligence, to pshia, for somebody who doesn't cultivate them, and, and, and because of that, he's going to be uh, locked in his mental boxes, as it were, away from the truth. So to the degree that he is not uh, cultivating chachma, he's staying as a golem, he actually is a poshea. It's not just like, uh, you know, some people like this, some people like that. He needs to strive to cultivate these uh, in order to uh, achieve a greater completion and accuracy in his perspectives and his wisdom. Welcome to The Shallow Dive on Kohelis, the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us as we explore the treasures gathered by King Solomon. I hope you enjoy. So, Kohelis, Per Gimel, we're going to do a little review 
Everything is made beautiful at its time. This is a very difficult verse. There's so many different interpretations that challenge a person to put it together. What's the cohesiveness of the verse? Extremely difficult. I'll try and, and give a mahalach an interpretation. So we're, we're valuing the beauty of something in its time. Beauty is something that we appreciate. It's not just that we know it's true. We can know something's true and it not be beautiful necessarily, but when it resonates, when there's a symmetry and elegance to it, then we perceive it as beautiful. And that's everything has an element of beauty in its time. As Shalom Aleph was saying, not too many verses previously, time for this, time for that. There's a, a beauty to the, uh, the doing of whatever is being done in its time. Now we have to see how that correlates to the rest of the verse. Gam es ha'olam nosen belibam. Also, ha'olam did he place in their heart. Ha'olam is an extremely challenging word to interpret here. Often ha'olam means the world. Also the world he placed in their heart. What does that mean? Ha'olam can mean something that's hidden. Ha'olam. We saw an interpretation. Ha'olam means a sense, an illusion of eternity. Olam can mean eternity. An illusion of eternity did he place in their heart. Also another interpretation. Ha'olam can mean tavos ha'olam. The worldly desires, the drives that are placed in a person's heart. I would consider merging those ideas to reflect in a, in a broader sense, ha'olam, to mean like olam kimin hagonoi, that the world has a, a certain flow, a cer- certain laws to it, as it were, natural laws, the, there's the way the world works. And that is placed into the heart of man. There's a, a human template that, that is part of what being human is. It doesn't have to do with what we choose. It has to do with our default of what is placed in our heart. We have an innate sense of morality, an innate sense of, of, for example, drives. We have innate drives. And an innate sense of this illusion that we, we know that uh, people keep dying. You go back not that long. Everybody was alive then. is no longer alive. But people live as though they will live forever. That illusion is something that is native to the human experience. That's ha'olam nosun balibam. The world came in hagonoig. A sense of uh, conscience. I'm not talking about somebody who's defective, but a normal human being has in his heart a sense of conscience. So, so this is a broader sense of what we can call ha'olam. The, the world as, as a reflection of uh, a, a human 
template. We have our, our native instincts placed in our heart. Also these, as ha'olam, nosen belibam, mi beli asher lo yimtza ha'adam hamasa asher also lo himei rosh Without which, a man will not find, or it could also be interpreted as actualize. Lo yimotza will not find, as in apprehend, or find the force, the, the uh, internal ability to actually accomplish. It could be interpreted both ways. Lo yimtza ha'adam. He will not find or be able now, depending on how you learn lo yimtza, that's going to change the way you understand the, the conclusion of the verse. So I'll say both ways. Without this instinct that God has placed in the hearts of man, man will not be able to apprehend the acts that God has done from beginning to end, meaning the ability of man to comprehend a divine order, a divine purpose, is predicated on the anchor of what is native and indigenous as it was to the, the human heart, what is placed in our heart. With, without that, we would be totally lost. Not that we do fully comprehend everything, that's the, the beginning of the verse. Everything is, is beautiful at its time. In, in a bite-sized sense, we can appreciate that. In, in the cosmic sense, throughout all of time, it becomes overwhelming. But nonetheless, because of our native uh, instinctive sense about things or drives about things, we, we can we can have certain postulates. For example, everything that God does, the all-merciful does, He does for good. Now we don't necessarily understand from our limited perspective how that actually plays out through every scene that we see, every experience that we have, even though we know that this is a true postulate. So that's, that's working with the hell of Nosen Balibam and we can approach an apprehension in a broader sense. It won't be sholim. It won't be complete. Lo My thoughts are not your thoughts, Isaiah says, uh, which is true. There's, there's going to be a gap between the infinite and the finite. But we have the inner uh, template that gives us a sense from which to construe meaning and understanding in a broader context. Mirojvatsov. That, that we can start, we can begin to grasp it from ha'olam nasan balibam. We can sense good and evil, even if we don't understand the full picture. If you say lo yimtza means will not find the capacity to do, lo yimtza ha'adam es hama'ase is not referring to the act of God, but his own action that is a fulfillment of what God wants. Asher asa Elohim. Meaning, without his drives that are native to him, he won't actually be able to do what God wants from beginning to end. So, 
there's an illusion here. He feels like he's going to live forever, even though he knows he's not. What is this illusion achieving? It's achieving God's purpose, that he will be empowered because of that illusion to engage in projects that he otherwise would, would not bother with. If he, if he was painfully aware on a, on a visceral level of his mortality, impending mortality, it would be crippling to a certain degree and prevent the actions that God wants from beginning to end. So the, the native drives that we have and perspectives, even if they are an illusion, those are placed there and there's a beauty that, that uh, these things lead to the fulfillment of God's plan from beginning to end. That's another way of understanding Hamase, who, the, the deed. Is that going on the deed of man that God is trying to achieve or is it going on an apprehension that we have of God's deed? Two, two subtle ways of looking at that. I want to take a look at the Medrash on this Pasuk. Interesting Medrash, especially after Matan Torah, we just had by Shavuos. Let's see. It's on the Pasuk. Everything God did beautifully at its time. There's, there's a a value of something taking place at its time. So, so he's, he says different, different uh, examples of this. Man is my handiwork. He's formed from my, from my palms, as it were. I'm not giving him the Torah, which seems to be somewhat shocking. And he, he says that what did man, man was given, the first man was given six commands, and he was not able to live up to them. If I would give him the full Torah, what's going to be? All the more so. Therefore it's written, Vayomer lo adam. Lo adam. Lo adam. doesn't say uh, man, and man said, but, and it was said to man, I'm not giving them to man. But to who will I give them? So there's, a, there's a beauty of the timing here. The Torah will be given, just not to man. Even though he's the handiwork of God, in a certain sense, the most perfect creature. But nonetheless, because of his failings, God is not going to give him the Torah. It's not the right time. I'll give them to his sons. It would have been appropriate, in theory, for man, for the first man to have had 12 sons, 12 tribes. It's a fascinating motif we find in various places, not only of 12 tribes, but a breakdown of that into a subdivision of 8 and 4. Fascinating. Not just by Yaakov, we find it by 
Rivka's family. Take a look at the Rashi over there. Right after the Akedah, after the, the, it goes through the family of, of Avram's brother, and you see another parallel division that, that marks this structure, a certain structure, like 70 nations, 12 tribes. Even by Ishmael, he has 12 Nisim as a, as, a, as a nation, 12 different branches to make this uh, collage of a, a grouping that is uh, a, a natural grouping for humanity. So man should have had 12 tribes. Zeh, Sefer told us, this is the book of the descendants of man. Zeh is five, or seven and five. Zayin is the gematria of seven. Hey, it's gematria of five. Should have been Zeh, Sefer told us, Adam, 12. Shneemasar Shvatim. Shneemasar Shvatim, the 12 tribes, is told us, Adam, is the, the generations of man. I'm not giving him 12 tribes. Why is that? God says it wasn't the right time. I gave him two sons. What happened? Cain killed Abel. One of them got up and killed his brother. If I would have given him 12 sons, can you imagine what would have happened? For sure, there would have been bloodshed. Two sons, maybe they'll get along. No. 12 sons, forget about it. Right? So you guys think about that when you're fighting. Just two sons, relax. <laughs> Not even 12 sons. Right? The Shvatim almost killed Yosef. That's with 12. But uh, two? Two should be easy. <laughs> okay. Vayom el Adam. Lo Adam. Eini nosnan lo Adam. Umi ani nosnan. So who will I give the 12 tribes to? To Yaakov HaTzadik. Jacob the Righteous. Amr Rabbi Yitzchak. Ruin ha Yisrael b'shash yotzim mitzrayim. Shetinosin lehem taramiyat. A similar case. The Jewish people immediately after leaving Egypt. What should have taken place? We just had the exodus. What are you going to do next? Not Disneyland? Go get the Torah. That's what should have been. Immediately. In fact, all the time, Moshe is saying, we want to go have a Shabbaton in the desert. For what was to get the Torah? So, why is there downtime? Why is, is there from mid-Nisan till either Vav or Zion, Sivan, is, uh, right, 50 days later, what's, what is the big delay for? El Amar Kadosh Baruch Hu, Adain Lo Ba, Zivon Shalbonai. It's not the right time. My sons don't have the, the correct uh, aura to be able to receive the Torah. Mishibutit Ulveinim Yotsu. They've just come out of the servitude and bondage of brick and mortar. They cannot actually receive the Torah immediately. What is this like? The king had a son that was ill. Deathly ill. And this advisor said, your son should go to school. Go to his school. Go to his school. What did the king say? Amar adayin lo ba zivo shel bni. My son's uh, aura has not returned yet. 
Shalom. You're telling him to go back to his school. My son's not going to school yet. He needs to get better. Let him recuperate two or three months. Eat and drink. And become healthy. Then he'll go to school. So too, God says, The trauma of the servitude, brick and mortar in Egypt, impaired our ability to accept the Torah as appropriate. It was too early for us to go back to school, even though we weren't deathly ill. And he knows that Sarah not going to be. Let them fatten up and become healthy by eating the man. They'll have this divine food and this pristine water. And they'll have these quails. Then I'll give them the Torah. When? In the third month. Not only would it have been appropriate for them to get the Torah right away, it would have been appropriate for them to go immediately into the land of Israel. Interesting. They, they, they were... Uh, they were delayed from, from the, the days of the, literally the rest of the trees. You're going to see what that means. There is a delay. Should I bring the Jewish people into a state of desolation? I'm not going to do that. Rather, I'll keep them in the desert for 40 years. 40 years? What should happen in that 40 years? The Canaanites will get up and they will chop down the old growth that is uh, leading to desolation in the land of Israel. And they'll plant new trees by the further 40 years of development of the Canaanites, when the Jews finally do enter Israel, it will be filled with blessing. So that's a fascinating idea that the delay, although of course, when you say, why did the Jews spend 40 years in the desert? You know, it's an embarrassing question, obviously, because really we shouldn't have, that's the premise. We should have gotten the Torah right away. Okay, that's two, that's three months, less than three months. But going into Israel, should have been essentially immediate. Here is a silver lining. From God's perspective, He was happy to have us delayed in the desert in order that when He brings us into the land, it will be more developed. It will be filled with blessing, not in a state of disrepair, not in a state of, of uh, this old growth that, that would be desolate, but rather uh, in, a, in a better state. The land will be better for them. And on that, Rebbe says, okay, that, please don't misinterpret this. Afilu lidvar avera, yofa v'ito. 
even for the matter of sin, it is beautiful at its time. What in the world? Okay. Sin is good as its time. Sin is good as its time. Whoa. Well. Well, when is that time? When is that time? Never. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes, sometimes things happen, right? Sometimes people make mistakes. I think it's coming on the heels of what we just said, that to some degree, the sin that they engaged in at that time had a benefit for God's broader plan. Meaning, really, they should have gone straight into Israel. That's what it should have been. Because they sinned, they had to spend 40 years in the desert. But really, spending 40 years in the desert was a good thing in a certain sense. So there was Yotha Ito that it was not contravening God's plan. God's plan is God's plan, and even sin is is incorporated, as it were, into his plan. It doesn't absolve somebody from punishment. They were punished. But it is still... God wouldn't let you sin if it's against his plan. You could put it that way. You just won't let it happen. Right? They, they wanted to kill Yosef. It didn't work. Like Yosef says, that, that wasn't God's plan. So they had another idea, this, that, whatever it is, that it wasn't possible to, to do against God's plan in an absolute sense. So even when there is sin, it's Yofa Ito that at that time, there is a manner in which it is a leading to what God is trying to achieve. Afilu Advarvera, Yofa Ito. Wow, so, so when it says in the Pasik, Es hakol asa Yofa Ito, everything, even sin. Wow. So... The, uh, the Tartamimo quotes in relation to this aspect of the, the Medrash. The Gemara in Nazir, Chav Kimmel. What does it say over here? So, a number of things, but the Gemara over here is talking about. Here, Amar Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchok. Greater is a sin with good intentions than a fulfillment of a command with bad intentions. Wow. We have a kasha on that. How could that be? Rav Yehuda said the name of Rav. A person should always engage, exert themselves in Torah and mitzvahs, the acquisition of divine enlightenment and fulfillment of his commands, even if he's not doing it for the ideal reasoning. The nature is to develop a good habit, to continue in that path, and it will lead him, if he has the goal in the right place, it'll lead him towards doing things for a more refined manner, to serve because that's the truth, because that's what he should do. But if he needs to motivate himself with something that is of lower caliber, so be it. He should do so to make sure he's at least doing the right thing, even if it's not for the right reasons. It leads to an improvement. So why is this a question? Gamar understands this as a question. We just said, Gedola Aver Lishma, Mitzvah Shalolishma. 
How could that be? We say mitzvah shalol shema is a great thing. You should always try and do mitzvah shalol shema. Always try and do the right thing even without the ideal intent. So how could it be that a sin for good intent is better than that? The Gemara answers, Say that they're on parody is what it sounds like. They're similar. That Yael, who was the woman, who was the wife of Hever, the Kenite, who killed Sisra, she should be blessed from the women in the tent. It means the women of the tent, Sarah, Rivka, Rachavaleah, the matriarchs. She should be blessed from the matriarchs. Sounds like, in a certain sense, she has something even better than the matriarchs. So that, that's the whole Gemara here. It's, it's, a, it's a bit cryptic, though, what the back and forth is. The Rosh gives an interpretation here, which I think is helpful. The Rosh says, Any from that which you said, that a sin with good intentions is greater than a fulfillment of a command with bad intentions, that sounds like doing a command without good intentions is bad. And you can't say it's bad. We are told to do that. Do it, even if it's not the best intentions. Meaning when I say best intentions, motivations. That's what's helping you do the right thing. Do what, use whatever tools you can to help you do the right thing even if it's not a tool that is ideal. Right, the classic case, uh, somebody should, should learn Torah, even if the, they're not holding by doing it for its own sake, or as a serving, serving God, but they're doing it because they think it'll help them uh, for gaining glory. Okay, even if that's their motivation, they shouldn't say, no, if it's not the right motivation, I won't do it. No, use whatever motivation you can to do the right thing, as long as you have your sight set on the the value of what you're doing for for the higher purpose, even if you're not there yet, use whatever motivation you can to get towards there. So don't say that it's a bad idea. Doing mitzvah shalom shema is a good idea. It's a great thing. It leads towards elevation of purpose of in, of intent. Umishani the Gemara answers, Ema. The Gemara's resolution, according to the Rush, is they both are great. Not that mitzvah should be avoided. It's also a good thing. But they both are great. There's a greatness to avera lishma. There's a greatness to a sin that's done for a good purpose. They're both considered valuable. Yael, she, she engaged in sin. But she has a certain blessing over the matriarchs. She saved the Jewish people through her sin. The Rush says, not that she's necessarily greater, but she also is blessed, even though she is not engaging in, in the, uh, the mitzvah of building the Jewish nation, like the matriarchs were. She was engaged in killing Sisra. Sisra was. Sisra? Yes, Sisra was a terrible guy. He's a Russia. No, her avera was that she that what she was, she was engaging him to help him. Before she killed him. 
but still, there's there's a, an aspect of avera there, and it's not it's not a good thing in itself. But she had good intentions. Her intentions were to kill him. That was her intent. And as he was a wicked person, killing him was a good thing. Not not ideal, but that's what needed to be done at the time. So she gets reward for that. So we find that, that sometimes Avera, if it's done lishma, can have value. It's a good thing. She's being blessed by that. On parity, at least, is the implication, if not even greater, than doing the right thing for the less than noble ideas. So the, the idea of having Avera being good at its time, the, the Tartumima says, that would be an example. It, it was... Is not uh, ideal, but she did the wrong thing with good intentions. And that has a value also. According to the simple interpretation of the Medrash, as we said, it could be just from, from God's perspective, that, that God is working with the potential for Avera to achieve his broader goals. He wanted the Jewish people to enter into the land 40 years later anyway. Was that? So her sin was that she lied about... I didn't read it, Holland, where did where they go? Uh, here, Mark, can you just ask the question? Yeah, so her sin was technically that she lied about trying to help that guy Sisra. in order to get a better position and kill him, correct? Well, That's she took him in. Here was, or, she took him in. I mean, she, because the guy was a bad guy, technically, he was. she should be killed. Oh, yeah, that wasn't a sin. The sin was not killing him. She did a great thing when she did kill him. But before she killed him, that wasn't so good. She brought him into her tent, gave him all sorts of stuff. It was, it was, that itself was, was sinful. So, uh, now I see. But, she, but she did ultimately kill him. She used that as a way to, to bring about his demise, which was a good thing. So, yeah, that, that's, that's one, that's what Tartamima says. But even without coming on to sin, sinning with good intentions, which is uh, a concept that, that is uh, remarkable. It really is remarkable, the, the value of good intentions. It's, it's an amazing revelation, really, that the good intentions, even of a, a sinful act, has, has a value, meaning... I would say especially in light of what we're we're seeing from the Medrash. God's purpose was being achieved regardless. He wanted the Jews to wait in the desert for 40 years so that he could give them greater blessing. So the way it came about was through their sin. And what if they hadn't sinned? Then maybe it wouldn't have been as a punishment. They would have waited 40 years not as a punishment. That's what God wanted for whatever reason. So I don't know how else it would have been achieved. But the sin is actually not making or breaking God's divine plan. So doing a sin with good intentions has a value in that you're, you're actually tr- working towards a good goal, even if the, the act is, is a negative act. But there's, there's a value there because whatever you're going to do is not actually going to be able to contravene God's plan. It's not, not really possible. In any event, yeah, that's that's uh, fascinating medrash on this pasuk. Even for the Behold, all of your ways you shall know him. 
even in even through sin, if something is doing somebody's doing something that is the wrong thing to do, they they should still strive always to have good intentions. So, sometimes a person's not sure what the right thing to do is, but strive to to have a purity of intention. That that is uh, that's something a person can always seek. Uh, you know, even if somebody's not sure what to do. Let's see, Pasukid Beis. Yudati ki ein tov bom. I have known that there is not good within them. Ki im li smoach velasos tov bechayav. Other than to rejoice and achieve good with their lives. Or in their lives. Okay, let's take a look at the Mefarshim on this Pasik, starting with Targum. Targum says, Amar Shlomo Malka Baruch Nevoa. When King Solomon says, I have known, the Targum says, this knowledge is a knowledge of prophecy. Right? As the, the Talmud says, parts of Koheles are Chachma, parts are Nevoa, some aspects are divine revelation, some aspects are wisdom that he is able to to develop and understand, this, says Targum, is an aspect of prophecy. Yodati, I have known. And it, it, to a certain degree it makes sense when you say, ki ein tov bom, there's nothing good other than, to say such a sweeping statement, it's more easily understood if it's speaking prophetically. Right? You, know, you could say that, uh, I believe this or I believe that, but to, to say something so unequivocal, there is nothing good other than that, that uh, is more revelatory than just Chachma, typically. But then he says even more that explains why it's revelatory, why it's prophecy. Yedois arum les tavbahom. I have known that it is, there is not good within them. He clarifies who's them. Vivnei Anasha, the sons of man. It's not good within man. Arum Elohein, other than Lemechadei Lismoch is the positive to rejoice. Bechedvasoraisa to rejoice in the rejoicing of the Torah. So when now we see that it's clearly prophetic. What is prophetically the good for man to rejoice in the rejoicing of the divine wisdom? and to do good with the days of his life. So rejoicing with the rejoicing of the Torah of enlightenment, and to do good with the days of his life. That is the only, those are the only facets of goodness that man can actually achieve. Ein tovbam, other than lismoach, to rejoice in chedvas oraiso, and to do good in the days of their lives. The Rashi follows that to a certain degree. He says, Yodati ato hoil venelam esap kudo ki ein tov bebrias. So Rashi says, now that it's not known the, the time of reckoning, so he's learning that, that what is known, there's nothing good within the, the people, creatures, other than to rejoice with their lot, says Rashi. 
So he, he's explaining there's no good bum in them, in people, but he's got a very different interpretation of what that good is. It's a reflection of the limited vantage point of man. We have a limited vantage point. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. So we should rejoice in our lot. This is what we have. We don't know what's going to be tomorrow. And then, Vilasos tov be'eneboro, to do what's good in the eyes of our Maker, relating to our Maker, be'ochuchai, while he is still alive. Meaning, the, the, the Rashi introduces a sense, not just the good of his life, but a sense of urgency. He's tying it all, again, continuing this theme of the, the last Pasuk he's learning, of ha, uh, uh, ha'olam, nasim belibam. Person doesn't know his end. He, he's, he's missing information. So he should be satisfied with his lot and do good in the eyes of God, something that's eternally good, that has value uh, for, for all time. Ba'od shuchai, with a sense of urgency while he's still alive. He doesn't know when that's not going to be the case anymore. So he should seize the opportunity to do good while he still has the opportunity. And rejoice in his lot. This is what he's given. So, the, the way Rashi is putting it together is, is really as a package. What's the connection with these, these two things? Rejoicing with your lot and doing what's good in the eyes of your creator. If you're rejoicing in your lot, so the way to express that is to do acts that reflect your gratitude to the one who has given you your lot. So, God gave you whatever he gave you. Rejoice in that, and the way to respond in, in a good sense, in a complete sense, is to do good in His eyes, in, as, as your Creator. He has given you your lot. So while He's given you, while you still have that gift of your lot, do good in His eyes with that portion. If you're grateful for your portion, utilize it to serve Him. That's the way Rashi explains. That is what is complete in in man's hand, so to speak. He's, he's missing a lot of stuff, missing a lot of information, but the rejoicing with what he has and, and the utilizing that to, to do what's good in the eyes of God, that, that is, is an aspect of completion, of wholeness, that man can achieve. And in Surah David says... Not chachma, also like Rashi is, is uh, sorry, not, not nevuah, not prophecy, but chachma. It's wisdom, like Rashi is saying. Yadati, I have known. Vanihine hiskalti ladas. I have become wise to know. Darke ha'olam v'tarlosov. The ways of the world and what its achievements are. And I have known. There's no good and mu'ushar is, is, can be uh, fortunate or, or valuable, praiseworthy among the sons of man. Other than by one who is, who is uh, his disposition is joyous. He should cultivate a, a joyous disposition, vilasus tov, and do good. Chesed, uh, chesed utzdaka be'od shuchai. 
kindness and charitably, and charity commit do acts of kindness and charity while he is yet alive. So he's saying that that's an, an aspect of wisdom. He's saying where is there uh, an achievement for man? Where is a person fortunate, praiseworthy? Is if he has cultivated a a path of rejoicing, he should feel rejoicing. Like Rashi said, that's Sameh Bechalka, rejoicing in his lot. Should try and cultivate a, a cheerful disposition and do good and kindness while he is yet alive. I, I think in the Masudas there's an, an, an element of here. He's not working with Rashi, focusing on the enigma, the, the lack of foreknowledge of when he shall die. I, I think he's got a different idea in Mitzudos. When he says at the end of the verse, Bechayov, with his life, to do good with his life, I think that the, the idea of Be'od Shulchai, while he is still alive, is a frame of mind that will facilitate La'asos Tov V'chesed Utsdaka. If a person is in a mind, a mind frame, a mindset that they think that they're, they're going to go forever, then they're never going to have enough. Whatever they have, they need. Because if they're going to be around forever, well, then they need it. Right? The, uh, that's just the mindset. If somebody has a mindset of that his life is fleeting, he can afford to be more generous. He can do good and bestow kindness and charity to others because he can't take it with him. He's here for a short while. What's he going to do with it? So the Bechayov, the Ochuchai, is, is giving the right perspective to be able to be Lasos Tova Chesed Utstaka, according to Mitsudas David. I know my father, me well, he said that he has different clients that he invests for. Some of them are younger, some of them are older. He said, across the board, there's, there's a mindset, regardless of how old they are, to want to utilize their assets in a manner that is self-perpetuating. Meaning, typically... They have a portfolio with him. They don't want to dip in more than, let's call it 4%. They don't want to cross that threshold. Now, he says, you know, he's got a client who's 90 years old. He doesn't want to use more than 4%. He said that's not really logical based on his anticipated life expectancy. It doesn't need to be self-perpetuating at this point, his, his nest egg. He can afford to dip down based on how much life he can anticipate. But he says nobody likes to do that. It's across the board. People would like to have a sense that what they've got can continue. But the ability to do good with what we have is recognizing that that's not actually the case. We have a fleeting hold over what we have. What we can do with it, of course, we need to sustain ourselves, but we can also do acts of charity and kindness with it not be so worried about keeping it going. There's only so much we can use.
let's see, we have this Sforno, Sforno over here. He has a slightly different interpretation of Bob. Yodati Hikarti. I have recognized. Again, he's not going with prophecy like Targum says. He's going with the Mitsudas, with Rashi, going, understanding through wisdom. He ain't tov bomb. There's not good within them. What's the within them? Not within people, but he says, bimine hishtadlus ha'adam. Among the possible forms of exertion that man can choose. Asher hu Man, Adam amal yulad. Man is created for exertion. Man will exert himself. That is native to man. That's part of ha'olam. But I've seen that not every form of exertion is valuable. Ein tov bam. There's not good and completion and wholeness within all the various forms of exertion that man can choose. Continues this Barnum. Other than to rejoice in, in the apprehension of wisdom, iyun, investigating wisdom. Shebo tusog simcha sichlis, viruchnis. Through that, it's good. It's, why is it valuable? He will, he will apprehend a rejoicing, an intellectual rejoicing, as it were, a spiritual rejoicing, which is fundamentally greater than all physical rejoicing. It, it transcends physical rejoicing. So when he says, he is working on the idea of what Targum says, although he's, he, Targum says, rejoicing with the rejoicing of the Torah. But the Sforno is saying, even on a lower level, even without the revelation aspect of it, even just on the wisdom aspect of it, the, the philosophy, human apprehension of wisdom, that also is, is a, a method that path of, of working towards that is a method towards fulfillment and rejoicing that is spiritual, intellectual, and it transcends the physical rejoicing. So that's, that's greater. Vilasos tov. Now, what's the rest of theirs to do good, according to the Svarno? Bimasios, in action. It's not just enough to apprehend wisdom. It needs to be channeled towards action. Wisdom is, is not a uh, spectator sport. We live in the world, we act in the world, and we need to utilize that for good action. And the Svarna says, why? Lihidamos labaro. In order to actually perfect ourselves, to be godly, to be godlike, we need to engage in action in the world. To, to do that, it's not just enough to, to simulate in our minds uh, an ordering of things, but to actually do something in a creative sense that emulates our Creator. That will change us. That will make us be more godlike. So the rejoicing of the, the, the apprehension of wisdom, spiritual and, and uh, intellectual rejoicing, 
and to utilize that towards action. So he's going in the same idea as, as they're saying, Lasso's Tov, in, in a generic sense, to do what's good, acts of kindness and charity. Um, and and that's, that seems to be across the board, right? Even in Targum, he says, to do good with the days of his life. He doesn't even just say mitzvos. He says tav in a very generic sense, good. To do good with what, with, with uh, the days of his life. Bechayov shuhu yochol alze. What does it mean, bechayov in his life? He's able to do that. He is empowered by God with his life. So, so that's that's his jurisdiction. He needs to do good with it. He's he's able to do good with what he has been given. So he, he can transcend just the wisdom to get to action. That's what he's been given. He's been given the potential for action. That's a Svarna. Let's see. Ibn Ezra, does he have anything here? Yodati. Yodati. Elu apsukim. It says this is a series of, of uh, thoughts that King Solomon is, is working on. Earlier in chapter 2, verse 24, it says, There is not good within man, other than to eat and drink and Show others his spirit of goodness that he is looking to do good with what he has. So he says this is a, a continuation of that. But he says it's in contrast. So the others interpret that verse like Targum in a positive sense. But the Ben Ezra is saying this is a contrast. He's saying what is actually good is for a person to be generous. If a person is toiling and not being generous and just hoarding his, his gains... All he's actually going to get is what he consumes. So what, what's actually going to be the result of all of his toil is basically just his personal consumption and ultimately says God will deem where it should go. So he can, he can have a hand in that. He can ha- have a hand in being generous, a benefactor, in emulating God, that's his prerogative. If he chooses not to, so he's actually underutilizing the gifts of God that he's been given. If he's just hoarding it. It says that, that this is um, repeated in the context of all the various times. Sometimes people gain money and become wealthy. Sometimes people lose wealth. And 
So the Ibn Ezra is explaining that money comes and money goes. So he says, therefore, Al-Kain ain le'amel tov. The one who is toiling for this, where is their fulfillment in all that toil? He should rejoice in his lot. That is his. Right? He's busy working and acquiring and achieving what he actually is, is getting. He should rejoice in. With his, his wealth to do good with it in his life, that he should live a good life. Oh, ye a pirusho, she asks a tov bechayev, she kabel loves chartov bemoso. He says, you can also interpret it as referring to a benefit in the hereafter. That's that's also a possibility. Meaning, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. But he says it could be interpreted both ways, especially in light of the fact that there's a a focus to a degree on in his life so there's there's a, a focus on the mortality aspect he's saying the good can be realized either in his life or in the hereafter if a person does good so he will be happy he will be fulfilled and he will receive reward in the hereafter so that's the the tov the, the shlemus the completion of Toil. A person can toil with so many different things in this world. That's the toil that will yield the good life, a life well lived. Yeah, any any uh, shilas over here on the, the Mahalchem we had? Targum, Rashi, Svarno, Mitsudas David. Any, anything else? Any any shilas? Any questions? Okay, all right. Where, where did the where did the Bechalder Chachad Be'Eu come from? You mentioned Bechalder Chachad Be'Eu. What connection is that? So I, I was bringing that in on, on the beginning of Pasuk Yud Aleph. Es hakol Everything is done good in its time. So the Bechol Derechecha De'ehu, in all of your pathways, you shall know him, meaning even in a pathway that is less than ideal. Still, there should try, a person should strive to have a lishma. To, to have good intentions, to, to be doing whatever they're doing, they, they should try to have good intentions with what they're doing. So that's Bechold Rechavan in all facets, even if a person is not doing what is perfect, but they, they should be striving towards serving God with, with what they're doing. I mean, that should be the, the, the goal, even if it's not in of itself Avodos Hashem, even in, in a context, if it's not necessarily the, the ideal, the don't, don't give up trying to do something positive, even if what's being done is not ideal. Sometimes what's, what's not ideal is still fitting into the broader framework of serving God. So it's, that's, uh, if a person has good intentions, that is worth a lot. That's, uh, that's all a person really can do. It's not in our hands what actually happens. But the good intentions are in our, in our hands. So, uh, then my question about, let's take this kind of out of the Bible, but let's go with uh, Robin Hood. Good guy or bad guy at the end of the day? Hmm. Good question. Robin Hood. Robin Hood. So, uh, 
basically it's depending on how you answer that question <laughs> be my next career <laughs> <laughs> when you say good guy or bad guy that's that's actually um, a very good question uh, like many things I would say mixed bag uh, he's he assuming he had good intentions which certainly that is the the uh, attribute given to him assuming he had good intentions so that that does have a positive positive impact his actions have a certain element of nobility when he's trying to do something positive with them, trying to do something good with them, even though he's using means that are illegal, or I would say even worse, uh, immoral, right? He's, he's stealing to, to help somebody who's, who's poor. So that's, that is, uh, is not a good act, but it's with good intention. So that's Avera Lishma. That is a sin with good intent, which the Talmud says so has value. Sorry, go ahead. The Talmud says that's, there's value to that. A sin with good intent has value. It's, a person shouldn't be trying to sin, but, but a sin with good intent is valuable. The person did have good intentions. It's not... Um, it's so not in this yeah. case, the, the end the, does justify the means. I wouldn't say it justifies. It's, it's not, a person shouldn't be sinning. Uh, it's, not, it's not recommending sinning. The Talmud's not encouraging that. But it's saying that, that there is a value and even a reward for that good intention. They, they did something with yeah. good intentions, they will get rewarded for that. Even if they might be punished for the sin aspect, which could be, but there's reward for the good intentions, even if it was through an act of sin. The intentions make 